You're with The Capitalist Sage, a twice a month podcast that seeks out entrepreneurs and experts that speak to the real world life of doing business for their sage advice. Now with your hosts, Carl Barham and Rico Figliolini. Hey everyone, thanks for uh, joining this live stream if you're here for that, for Facebook Live, or if you're here for the audio podcast. Uh, This show is called Capitalist Sage. I'm your host, Rico Figliolini, and Carl Barham is our co-host as well. Carl, why don't you tell us about the show? Sure thing, Rico. Our mission of this show is to provide sage advice to small business owners and for other business owners, from other business owners and subject matter experts. We aim to inspire business owners to explore traditional and new ideas to grow their business. Great. I want to also thank, by the way, before we get too far into this with our special guest today, we are at Atlanta Tech Park Podcast Studio. I want to thank them, put a shout out to them for uh, doing this with us, for allowing us to be able to use their studio, and for Carl, I'm sorry, Mark Traeger. Mark, thanks for saving us this morning, uh, for this afternoon, for putting uh, recording this live with us and getting the sound going for the podcast. Uh, we have a special guest today. This is our first show, uh, so bear with us as far as any technical issues or as we move around the uh, situation with the live stream and stuff. But our first guest is Gary Binberg. He's uh, I've known Gary, I've known of Gary, and I've met Gary a long time ago. But uh, it's been about ten years, maybe ten, eleven years. Ten, yeah. eleven years. When you open up your first Witch Witch, a franchise business in the food industry, right, right here in Norcross, Georgia, in the let's Forum. Call, let's call it Peachtree Corners. Okay. <laughs> city, back then, Norcross. That's today, right. City Peachtree Corners. Um, and I met Gary, and when I met and spoke to him, the interesting part that drove me was that Gary said to me, "I have a plan." Good, everyone has plans. But Gary had a plan to take, to open up one of these franchises every year. Correct. And within 10 years, you've opened up about 10 of them. Yeah, eight of them to be exact. And uh, uh, it took about seven years to get to the eight. And then we sort of stabilized and, uh, you know, had eight stores throughout the 10 years that we are 11 years that we are involved. Excellent. And then you ended up exiting out of the business at the beginning of the year or so. Exactly. Between uh, January of, and April of uh, 2018 here, we uh, sold all our stores. So with the conversation that I had with you early on a few weeks ago, we were talking about how the business is and how truly the business can be behind the scenes. And so that precipitated this idea of the topic for this show, which is, so your franchise owner, what really comes after being a franchise owner and how having eight of them, you know, where people think, great, economy of scale and, and stuff like that. But what really happens when you have eight of these locations and, and how that business is? Give you plenty of stories and hopefully some uh, responsible feedback to uh, provide uh, other people that might be looking at not just restaurants, but just franchises in general. Excellent. Excellent. Well, to, to get started, Gary, um, I wonder maybe you could tell us a little bit, what made you choose franchising as a way to start your business? Right. Um, so... My story goes back back to about 1980, when I was a sophomore at Georgia Tech, and I met the founder of Subway, mm. and he was in town looking for franchisees, 
At that time, Subway was only about a 200-store operation. Now they have like 40, 000, mm. over 40,000 stores. Right. But uh, so I was 19. I went to this little seminar. I came back and I said, I need $75,000 to open a Subway. So I asked my parents, grandparents, anybody I could ask. And they all said, you're going to school. You can't do this. I said, yeah, I could do both. At that time, there was no such thing as multitasking. But I think I thought I could do it. But got turned down. Couldn't. There wasn't any uh, startup capital places to go to online because there wasn't any online activities just then. Uh, so, but that noodled that idea in my head that, wow, this looked like a pretty cool concept um, and I'm going to get back to it somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got that little spark early on. Exactly. Excellent. Yeah. So, uh, so in franchising is sort of the question, you know, let me, you know, so the straightforward answer is it gives you a platform. It gives you some baselines to work from. And if you don't deviate from those, I think you can be pretty successful. <laughs> and so I have an industrial engineering degree from Georgia Tech, so that's I'm a very process-oriented guy, and that's what a franchise is all about, is following the processes. Okay, thank you. Hey, Carl, just a technical thing. Can you lower your mic? I want to be able to see you on Facebook. There you go. Perfect. Go ahead. Yep. Um, so what made you successful, do you think made you particularly successful in growing your business to eight franchises? Right. So we had a business plan. Um, the first thing we did is I learned how to take some uh, retirement money, mm-hmm. so a 401k, and turn that into business capital. Mm. So there's uh, some ERISA rules, and not to make a long story short, a lot of attorneys involved and companies that are out there that where basically you can take, you know, let's say $200,000 in my case, and turn that into business capital without any tax uh, complications. Okay. Um, a lot of strict rules and regulations you got to follow per year, and there's some company fees. There's an up, up, upfront fee. There's about six companies in the U.S. that does does this. Um, and then some ongoing maintenance issues. Mm-hmm. But um, that's how we got started. So you got to be well-funded, at least. You can't, you can't just go borrow the whole thing. You could, but you might, you're probably getting, you're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in no debt. Yep, yep. However, to, in order to, to grow the business, we did acquire in the Peachtree Corners location that uh, found a banker that was an SBA guy, mm-hmm. and he liked what we had. He said it was the best business plan he's seen in about 20 years, um, and we got our first SBA loan after one year of business. We got a second, we got a third to get to four stores, and we opened one store per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, from that then, we had enough capital going from four stores where we could, uh, you know, sort of cash flow the rest of the stores in, in the uh, subsequent years. Another key thing is, though, we started off slow, added one per year, mm-hmm. and my wife was pretty risk averse. Mm-hmm. So the only way we she agreed to this thing because you got to have a part. If you're a partner, you know, whether it's a wife or a significant other, you got to have both both of you on the same page. So the only way she agreed to it is you keep your corporate job. So I kept my corporate job. Mm-hmm. For the first four stores. Really? Yes. Mm. How did you do that? And manage it behind the scenes, <laughs> all the finances, all the you know payroll, those kinds of things. And my wife helped manage the first store. We promoted from within and kept growing the, the, uh, the base of our employees. Mm-hmm. She would go to the second store, the third store, the fourth store. And by the time we had four, I finally looked at her and said, hey, I think this is going okay. I can probably get out of the corporate world. And so after we did that, she agreed to it. 
we found insurance. Mm-hmm. That was the key, key thing that you know the corporate life gave me. Mm-hmm. But we found a reasonable insurance uh, for the business, um, health insurance, and then uh, we went from four stores to seven stores in nine months. Wow, nine months, wow. cash flowing them all. So yeah. the le- the, le- the last few stores, and then the fourth store was a couple years later. And how far were they from each other? I mean, we're reasonably within the metro area? Yeah, so we had stores, uh, if you sort of call it the Peachtree City one, the central one, I guess. Uh, we had stores all the way from Cherokee County into Gwinnett County, all the way down to Emory and Brookhaven. <laughs> so uh, eight locations. The traffic got worse over time, I'm so sure. getting to... Some of those stores throughout the Atlanta area, you guys know as well as I, as, as we do, do here in Atlanta, is not an easy way to get around. So. I, I love that you mentioned about uh, the program where you use some of your retirement funds to help do that. I, I think this described as the Rob's program that allows you to do that. So there's a lot of ways for people to get access to capital that they may not be aware of. Right. And then you looked at SBA funding to help you build a business over time. But but I noticed a theme there. You had a really good business plan that helps you get some of that funding as you went to some of these organizations. Anything you could tell us, tell, tell me about uh, how did you learn to, to pull together a business plan and, 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 and how hard is it to do? It's not hard. You have to take sort of the, the main components, whether it's, you know, from how you're going to structure the business, you know, how are you going to manage the business, how are you going to market the business, how are you going to keep costs down. Part of it, I, I got the information from the franchise, so mm-hmm. which which corporate provided me a lot of that information and their plan to grow. Because when I first, I did the first store, which which was only about 30 stores at the time, mostly in the Texas area. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty high risk venture to go out and say which which is a, a good idea. Um, and in Atlanta, there was only one store way down in Hapeville of all thing of all places. So, um, but which which provided that information to me? There was no internet at the time, right? So you mm-hmm. couldn't go copy and paste uh, <laughs> some good uh, business plan ideas. Um, but I asked a lot of small business owners as well. You know, what have they done before, especially guys in the restaurant business? So, what type of support did you get from the franchise, though? As far as yeah, so it's a great it's a great uh, idea. So most franchisees that that are growing, mm-hmm. you know, have their plan together on, you know, it's been now this is the restaurant side mm-hmm. of it. Have their plan together about food and cost structures, have some national plans with food providers, those kinds of things. Um, have an idea of how to run the stores, the operations, and if you follow those operations, you're 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 you know pretty good at keeping those things um, you know running well. The thing that I found the downside of is that when when they're growing fast mm-hmm. and there's a lot of them out there, they don't have a lot of good implementation skills. So I have a project management background, mm. so that helped me overcome sort of those, some of those difficulties of understanding, you know, when they're rolling out something, you know, how to make it better, how to make it more useful as far as tools and things that they provided. Does that, did that give you the opportunity or did they take the opportunity to learn from you after having seven or eight stores to be able to learn what really worked here in the metro area for you? They, they did took that because, uh, so I offered up, so uh, we we started online ordering about six years ago, sort of way before mm-hmm. you know, now that you know every place has online ordering. And so I offered up to be the guinea pig of all, we had about 200 stores now across the country for Witch Witch at the time. Um, they're up to about 500 now. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I offered up to be a guinea pig for my stores to roll out online ordering and knowing that they didn't really have a project manager on, you know, mm-hmm. in their staff. I said, let me be the project manager. Let's figure out the kinks, the use cases, the test cases of what, what could go wrong with it. And so they agreed to that. And then once we got through about two or three of my stores, we had a pretty good base, mm-hmm. rolled it out to the remaining stores, and then they started rolling it out nationwide. So they used a franchisee that had some skills and knowledge <laughs> of you know project management right. that I always said, you know, you guys just don't have, you guys got great ideas, but rolling it out sometimes can be a real precarious situation. That's fabulous that you that you that you have this network of support by the franchise that goes both ways, where you help them improve and innovate, and they help you. Um, what about some of the things you wish you knew about franchising um, before you went in it? Anything that, that that you took away from that? Sure. Um, the key thing is that stuff will always, or what well, I say, I shouldn't use the word <laughs> stuff, but you know, things that you're trying to plan. Um, dealing with leases, a key thing, takes a lot longer than you ever think it can. I don't know if you've ever seen a coming soon sign for a restaurant. Yes. And it's months go by and months go by. And the amount of issues and the amount of permitting and the amount of government legislation and the amount of city issues takes a long time. Mm-hmm to get something built, especially from scratch. Even also it takes a long time if you're taking over a space, which one of our stores we took over Mm -hmm. in Old Quiznos. Um, So there's a lot of regulations you have to deal Mm -hmm. with. Um, The other uh, thing that I learned is it takes a lot more money than you ever think it might. Mm -hmm. So I sort of am a believer when I'm doing projects, if you sort of half the benefits and double the costs, you might get to reality of what some salesperson or pitch, you know, pitched you as far as an idea. So did, did by the time you got to your sixth or seventh store, did that, did you get used to the fact that of all these things happening? That, yeah, well, uh, I said, and so when I, if you recall, I, I, we talked about we went from four to seven stores in mm-hmm. nine months. Yeah. After the fourth store, we sort of had it worked out of what we needed to do and what jurisdictions we were going into because we were going into some new counties or new cities. And then I also learned to talk to some of the other guys that have opened up things in that center and find out who to talk to. Mm. So we sort of skirted around some of the bureaucracy in different government agencies and got to the right person right away. Oh, that's good good advice um, for people. So talking to other owners in the shop, kind of using them to help um, learn from their experience. Exactly, because they, you know, they told us about, you know, which inspectors to to look out for, uh, you know, what paperwork they forgot to tell you that you needed, um, you know, those sorts of things that can just be cumbersome because you have to keep going back. And I'm thinking about the government, but uh, but it's not just the government, uh, you know, food providers, uh, you know, safety issues, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, utility providers. There's so many things that get involved. And to build one store of a restaurant, I dealt with about 60 different vendors mm-hmm. at any one time to, to get a store open. So, so you, go ahead. No, so looking at your experience, you did a restaurant, a food restaurant. Um, if you were to look back at it, um, are there other businesses besides that you would have considered, knowing what you know now about about businesses and franchises, is there another concept that you've you learned over the year that you would have considered? 
I think uh, you know some of the technology plays and some of the um, you know sort of like the let's say the online ordering mm-hmm. uh, piece was really interesting, and so there's some companies doing some franchising that you can go you know in, implement online ordering mm-hmm. in different not just restaurants but other retail or oriented services. Um, you know, sometimes I'll look back and say maybe something with less employees mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, I had about 120 employees at any one time at the height of the, the number of stores we had. And each person has their individual characteristics of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, today's world, uh, you know, the, the turnover, you know, the unemployment's so low, it's sort of an epidemic to, to try to find people, not just good people, but mm-hmm. just people in general. So sometimes, you know, as my wife looks at me now and says, you know, if you're going to start another business, maybe you should look at, you know, how many employees has it really taken. Technology certainly has helped, mm-hmm. you know. It's funny because we, that. when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned the employee thing and how uh, you're competing with like Target and other places oh, yeah. that pay more per hour. For sure. Yeah, than the food industry. For sure. But it's not even the money, though. You were saying you you get people not showing up for interviews. Well, they would show up, but then they wouldn't show up for the job. Right. I mean, <laughs> so, so, so they know uh, it's, I don't know if you've heard the term ghosting. And so the ghosting represents where, you know, they don't show up for the interviews. So the ghost shows up, but, you know, not the actual person. Um, They show up for their first day and then they ghost out for the second day um, because they know they can go down the street in any direction and find somebody else that's paying more. Um, maybe a different kind, or they find out that, you know, if a lot of people have not worked in the restaurant industry and they found out, wow, there's a lot of, you know, issues, mm-hmm. you know, you know, dealing with customers one-on-one, um, you know, things that I might've not even been trained for. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, so there's so many uh, kids come out of high school and they don't even know how to like a clean a toilet. <laughs> Mm, that's <laughs> they had the maid do it. <laughs> well, certainly the, the the cleaner that comes once a week or something. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. So, uh, so it's it's tough to find. And did, did you find like when I drive up to McDonald's sometimes, the kids will be with the earbuds. They're not doing the business. For sure. You can tell from For top sure. down that the management doesn't care too much, and the employees don't care too much. For sure. Uh, were you so, finding that? You know, it's tough, right? It's um, the, um, I think they care to an extent, but, you know, we've we've let sort of the, this younger generation now, I th- I'd say that, you know, the 17 to 20 something mm-hmm. grow up that, you know, all is good. They get the eighth place trophy in the soccer team. Um, they haven't been taught, you know, business 101 where you got to be excellent in order to rise to the top Mm. Um, and also the phone has taken away a lot of their skills to be able to talk and interact with people i always said if they could snapchat to the customer i'd have been golden but uh unfortunately you know the health department doesn't like phones in the hands in restaurants so uh so that was a key a key issue to make sure that you know phones were put down in the back, you know, or we even locked away in the safe, uh, you know, so they couldn't get them. 
So it's interesting. Um, having good financing up front and figuring out that, having a good plan in place um, and, and figuring out how to manage employees and operations are some critical skills that, that, that made you successful. Right. Um, in your plan, how did you think about how you would exit that business? Right. I always sort of thought about 10 years down the road, would there be something different to look at? Um, and that's where we sort of came upon in that 10th year. You know, my wife and I looked at each other and said, we're ready to do something different, um, especially with the amount of technology that's out there. It looks like, you know, there's a lot of people doing their own thing, you know, whether it's podcasts as we're doing right now mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, Instagram influencers to Facebook advertising to buying and selling retail arbitrage, you know, with Amazon or eBay. Uh, so there's so many things and opportunities that we wanted to try something different and give the give somebody else the opportunity to, mm-hmm. you know, to get into the restaurant business. The re- restaurant business is a great business. Um but uh, our time had come mm-hmm. and uh, to move on and do something different. When you, when you started thinking about that, um, how hard was it for you to, 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 to find a, a buyer of your business? And did you do it all one-to-one buyer or did you do it across many? Good question. So we found a great business broker uh, who helped us out. And also he happened to be an ex-Witch-Witch uh, franchisee. Mm-hmm. So he sort of knew, you know, knew the uh, game and knew the the uh, the franchise intimately um, we marketed them as one unit uh, or one group of restaurants but we found it was easier to sell them individually or groups so we had actually four buyers for the eight restaurants so one guy had three two and a few individual ones but the transition process in which which has is really strict i hope other franchisees have this model of who they take mm-hmm. and so even though if you've got money that's not the only characteristic, uh, you know. So they have to fit the culture. They have to be a hands-on operator. They're not just buying it to stick, you know, their their nephew in mm-hmm. to to run the business. Um, they'd certainly have to have some liquid capital mm-hmm. or some backing, you know, to to prove that you know they have that wherewithal. And they had to show, you know, bank statements and you know things like that. They have to go to three weeks training. Um, and then there's a whole transfer process where I had to make sure that the store was in tip-top shape. It can't be 100% new because mm-hmm. it's aging, but everything had to be working before I could transition this over to, to the new owner. So there, the process, we started in January of 2017, mm-hmm. and we sold them all from January to April of 2018. So the process of finding the right buyers, getting them through training, getting you know all the financing in order, it can take a while for sure. So once all that was done and you completed the transition, uh, what was your plans for after that? Okay, um, so we took a few months hiatus, uh, went on a long needed vacation uh, to Europe for three weeks. Uh, my wife's an interior designer, so uh, I've been helping her some, uh, building her business through uh, Instagram and Facebook and other things like that. Um, I've got a few ideas if you want me to share with them. Uh, I'd love to, to tell you guys about it. Absolutely. After okay. you've done all that, what are you doing now? All right. So um, I'm a big believer is that there's a lot of opportunity 
um, in Atlanta to show people where to go, what to do. And I always wanted to be a cruise director, but I want to do that as on land and sort of be the cruise director of Atlanta. Mm. And uh, there's so many mixed-use facilities. There's so many festivals. There's so many uh, museums. There's, there's so much to do, but people don't get out of their neighborhood. So be on the lookout for something called Zip Escapes, where you're going to escape your zip code and go explore locally across a lot of these you know, things you might have seen on the news that are opening up around Atlanta. I love that idea. Finding things to do is still a challenge for people that are new to the city or people that have lived here. Right. And having someone to help be a guide for that. Yeah. So I want to be the official sort of concierge, cruise director, whatever it might be. I've lived here 45 years. Um, I've sort of got some ideas of how to get that out there on the social media you know, sites and uh, and then provide these uh, what I call zip escapes, which means getting together with your neighbors, your family, and being able to have a full collected, uh, you know, resource to go to and say, hey, where do I go? How do I do it? Even maybe pay some money to have somebody help you figure it out. So we'll see. Sounds good. Well, I want to thank you for sharing your experience as a small business owner. Um, um, I, I love that you shared some of the advice and, and wisdom that you've learned over the year. And if someone wanted to reach out and, and, and contact you, what's the best way to contact you if they wanted to have a chat and talk more about some of your experiences? Right. They can uh, use my email. I'm mm-hmm. fine with that. So it's G Bernberg. So G B I R N B E R G at gmail.com. Okay, cool. And we'll also post that on on, on the website, so Correct. you'll be able to get... Right, so we'll put that on the podcast notes, and which can be found at peacerecorderslife.com. Uh, I want to thank Gary Bernberg for uh, coming up to, our, to do our first show, Capitalist Sage. And you are a sage because you've, the stuff that you've been sharing today has been fantastic insight into the franchise right i'm glad to be here hopefully it's a benefit to some of your listeners and uh, look forward to uh talking to some of them if they need some advice excellent thank you thank you thanks carl and thank you facebook listeners watchers you'll be able to find this video on youtube as well Uh, and certainly the podcast can be found on itunes probably iHeartRadio and spotify in a few weeks uh, as the episodes grow and uh Feel free to go to peachrecorderslife.com and join the mailing list, and you'll find out more shows as they come out. We're planning two in January, yep. and we'll be twice a month. Um, so just look for it, and thank you for uh, coming. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Gary. And, sorry, one last <laughs> thing. I want to thank Mark again, Traeger, for helping out with the podcast, for being our uh, in-space here producer, engineer, on-the-spot man to get the sound going. And I want to thank Atlanta Tech Park for providing the podcast studio that uh, we're using right now. So thank you. This has been The Capitalist Sage with Carl Barham and Rico Figliolini, the twice-a-month podcast with entrepreneurs and business experts. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Want more? Visit our website at capitalistsagepodcast.com.